0: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of On Average MD. I'm Dr. Amig, your host. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Viviane Asamoah come on the show. She is a gastroenterologist who works from Texas, but she is incredible. She has trained at Hopkins University, which is one of the biggest centers in the US. She did her residency and her fellowship there And then she moved to Texas, where she opened a private practice that's thriving. She has something that's very different than the vast majority of gastroenterologists. She has created a group to help patients with um, IBS, which she is going to talk to you about. And we're going to hear about IBS and IBD. And I'm not going to say more because I'm sure you know about it. But you're going to hear, like, there's a lot of patients with rheumatologic disorder that have IBD and a lot more that have IBS. So without further ado, Dr. Asanoa, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you want to talk to uh, a bit about you and why you created this program? And maybe before that, the difference between inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome, so IBD versus IBS. I'm letting you talk.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Amik, for having me on your show, Unabridged MD. I love the name of your podcast. It's really awesome. So, yes, so I am an integrative gastroenterologist. And so let me begin there. What does that mean? Everyone is like, what does that even mean? So I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist. I did completed my fellowship at Johns Hopkins. I got amazing training. And then I was always interested in nutrition, even during fellowship. I was always rounding with the dietitians and doing all the obesity and nutrition rounds. And so when I got out of fellowship and started practicing on my own, I realized that nutrition was a huge part of gastroenterology, huge part. And every day seeing my patients, everything kind of revolved around food but I wasn't really incorporating that as much. So I did some additional training um, in integrative medicine, functional medicine, precision medicine, whatever we want to call it, but where we really focus on root cause medicine, food first medicine, you know, how do we use food to heal? And I bridged the two, you know, kind of bringing the best of both worlds to my patient, conventional medicine, as well as that more holistic approach to really offer the Best solutions like find root cause and offer sustainable results. And I've seen better results, the best results when we bridge the best of both worlds. And that's, that's what I do. That's, that's how my practice is different. I'm based in Katy, Texas, but I'm kind of virtual and global right now. I see um, patients for our integrative practice from all over the world, from London, Germany, Dubai. And um, so we do virtual consults and we are kind of like, medical detectives gastro detectives right we're really trying to get to the bottom of what's really going on so we focus a lot on the microbiome how food affects the microbiome how lifestyle stress affects the microbiome and we try and shift things very naturally with nutrition and giving counseling and coaching in terms of lifestyle and stress identifying root cause and kind of seeing things turn around for the patient right And that's why I'm I'm so excited to talk about IBS and IBD, because there's so much evolution in these two diagnoses. And you are an expert. Of course, you see, I'm sure you see a ton of IBD patients as a rheumatologist, and we generally, you know, have them on medications and stuff, but it'll be excellent and interesting. I really think exciting to talk about how food impacts all of this, how lifestyle impacts all of this and what it means.
0: I love it. Well, thank you so much. And I think. You know, as a as a as a start, I'm just going to share a little story so that you, like, you're going to say like, oh yes, of course, right? We should always listen to our patients, and I think some of the first patients that mentioned diet changing their rheumatoid arthritis and even infl- uh, inflammatory back pain were when I was a resident in France, so a long time ago now, and mm-hmm. at the time we didn't know that there was a link, and now. I think it's more than 10 or 15 years later, even though at the time the doctors were like, oh, no, there's no link, you know, it's whatever. And now we're like, no, it changes the microbiome, the microbiome changes, and then you can develop ankylosing spondylitis, uh, right? And so there is definitely, and we know that ankylosing spondylitis is associated with inflammatory bowel disease. So it's really fascinating. I, wonder, I want you to talk about uh, inflammatory bowel disease and how we differentiate that with, uh, irritable Bowel Syndrome, so IBD versus IBS, just because I get a lot of those questions. And as a rheumatologist, I'm, you know, if there is someone with inflammatory bowel disease, mm-hmm. then I can give them my medication. I find that IBS is a lot harder, and I will tell you, it's so hard to find a good GI dog because they don't really know what to do when there is IBS, and it sounds like they don't really. They cannot just shrug their shoulder and just say good luck to <laughs> our patients.
1: It is. It is really hard. And that's that's a that's a tough question you have for me at the first one like that, right? It's a tough one. So I think that what's really important is if you if we suspect inflammatory bowel disease, which are the patients that you see a lot of, right, that need to be on some kind of therapy, we're concerned about. Um, the evolution of the disease, right? We think that this is something where we can actually see anatomic mucosal um, involvement. When we say mucosal, we know that the lining of the intestines or the gut is inflamed. Like we can see the inflammation, we can see the ulcers, and this may even cause long-term narrowing or, or what we call strictures in the, in the gut and cause complications of bleeding and blockage and things that can be quite severe. So what's really important is we definitely want to differentiate and make the diagnosis if it's inflammatory bowel disease. It's not uncommon that some people who present with IBS-like symptoms actually have IBD. And it's not uncommon that people with IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, can have IBS on top of the IBD. So the whole IBD, IBS, all those words, it's, it's confusing. But IBD is inflammatory bowel disease. We're often referring to Crohn's disease. I'm sure some of you have heard of that, ulcerative colitis. We even tag along this, a diagnosis of um, that you may have heard of called collagenous colitis. All of those form, fall under inflammatory bowel disease. And, you know, patients can present very similarly to IBS. They may be bloated, have diarrhea, sometimes constipation. But the difference here is that some of them may actually notice blood in their stool, right, mucus in their stool, have more significant abdominal pain, notice weight loss, right, because they're not absorbing, they can't eat, right, or have obstructive symptoms. So blood work will show us a lot of inflammation. CRP and ESR is high, we may see iron deficiency anemia, stool testing is one of the biggest way to really make that distinction, because there are stool markers of inflammation, either called lactoferrin or calprotectin that we can test in stool and say, boom, boom, the calprotectin is super high. There's actually inflammation going on. This is most likely inflammatory bowel disease. With IBS, where, you know, there's a Rome 4 criteria. So we have like a motility criteria for who has IBS. The Rome 4 criteria will say, you know, altered bowel movements, some bloating, some cramping, some irregular bowel movements, sometimes triggered by food, relieved by bowel movements, but and going on for three to six months. But we don't see significant weight loss. We don't see blood in stool. We don't have those inflammatory markers. Your calprotectin will be negative in stool, but it doesn't mean it's not just as serious. It just doesn't evolve the same way as inflammatory bowel disease, which truly is systemic, right? But, you know, right now we're even thinking that IBS is its own systemic disease, but I would say one is really inflammation and the other one is more microbiome shifts and motility related, right? Yeah.
0: So fascinating. Well, thank you so much. I think that this is extremely helpful. Can you talk to us about the microbiome? Because I think this is, you know, what's doing a lot of headline right now uh, and how you take this into account to treat Patients.
1: Yeah. So the microbiome, I think, is truly the evolution of gastroenterology. And I wish I learned about the microbiome when I was in gastroenterology fellowship, but I'm learning it now because I think medicine is just evolving. I really feel we're in this renaissance phase of medicine where, you know, we're discovering so much about how we can use precision medicine to heal and how we can use food as medicine to heal. And this is where the microbiome comes in because truly Dr. Minkus, the only thing that can change the microbiome, the main thing is food. It's nutrition, it's diets, right? It's the main thing that can shift it. And so the microbiome has become very important because we realize that that microbiome, which truly is the ecosystem, of your gut. It's, it's basically bacteria, viruses, even parasites that are good for you, right? Um, archaea, any, and these organisms that blend and live harmoniously with us. We've realized now that we rely more on them than they do on us, right? They actually help us, um, process our food, make nutrients and vitamins help us with motility, help us make neurotransmitters. So this this microbiome is essential to the human being. And they say we actually have trillion more cells of this microbiome than actually human cells. So our body really leaves in harmony with them. And when the microbiome is off, it's almost like your hand is off, your hand is amputated, something is clearly wrong, and your human body cannot function. So it, we talk about it in gastroenterology, because majority of the microbiome is in the gut, right? Majority of this microbiome also regulates the immune system, which is in the gut, which is, you know, directly affects and can result in autoimmune conditions. Um, But we talk about it in gastro, but it truly the microbiome is in every part of our body. We've got a microbiome in our mouth, our nose, our vagina, our bladder. Every Our skin has its own microbiome, right? So we really coexist with these bacteria, viruses, and parasites, and they affect how we function. So when the microbiome is off for whatever reasons, and a couple of reasons could be you got a whole bunch of antibiotics, right? Someone just gave you a bunch of antibiotics It just shot your microbiome. Your diet is off because you're just eating processed food all the time. You're not really aware. You're not mindfully eating you're eating a lot of process or you're exposed to a lot of toxins and this could be even infection right some kind like covid really affected our microbiome when it hit that's when we see the shift and the shift can be long lasting unless we start to really identify and resolve it so the microbiome i mean we could have a whole other show on the mic talk about the microbiome but a little show that. And we should yeah
0: yeah. We should, no, 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 this, this is excellent. This is excellent. So um, because we will definitely do a second one with all the microbiome, because there's a lot of association with rheumatologic disorder. Like we definitely know that the microbiome is like, for example, there was a study uh, in 2015, I remember it, because that's when my kids were born, where they found that if you give antibiotics at a kid less than six months, there's more chance for them to develop a rheumatologic disorder. Yes. And, you absolutely. know, my kids were pre so they got quite a bit of uh, antibiotics, <laughs> but because we think that it's changed the microbiome. So, I, I, yeah, we definitely need another a take two on the microbiome. Now, talk to us a little bit about the treatment and why you created this guest this group uh, to treat. And I think it's mostly for IBS patients. Is that correct?
1: It is. Uh, we, we call Our group is called the leaky gut group. And I chose the word leaky gut because a lot of patients relate to that term, right? They all, do I have leaky gut, leaky gut? And, and I thought it was actually a controversial term because it's taken doctors so many decades to understand and validate leaky gut. And the term leaky gut basically means um, intestinal hyperpermeability. So in our intestines, Small intestines, essentially. That's where the magic of digestion happens, right? That's where absorption happens. That's where our nervous system of the gut is. That's where we make neurotransmitters like serotonin and melatonin. But it has a barrier, right? That's like the Great Wall of China, right? And that barrier, sometimes, if attacked, right? I just say, like, attacked by bacteria, attacked by bad food, attacked by viruses, attacked by alcohol attacked by sugar, and if this attack is continuous, the cement between the bricks starts to dissolve. It starts to break. And you start having gaps in this barrier. And this barrier is supposed to be like a tight junction, right? It protects the lumen where you eat, your food is passing through and all the good stuff is passing through from the bloodstream, right? And when this barrier disrupts, things that you're eating, things that you're consuming, even microbes and your microbiome, and particles of your microbiome now become exposed through the fenestrations to the blood barrier. And things that pass through trigger inflammation. And imagine once it goes into the bloodstream, it's going everywhere. It's going to your brain, it's going to your joints, it's going to your skin, it's going everywhere. And that's how we think a lot of these chronic diseases may actually start food triggers, right? Food triggers, antibiotic triggers. And that's truly the connection, I think, between a lot of the autoimmune stuff that we see. So it's called leaky gut because of this hyperpermeability. And anybody with gut issues can have this leaky gut. It seems to be the foundation of a lot of our gut-related issues, right? We see it in patients with even fatty liver. Insulin resistance patients have leaky gut. Patients with a lot of inflammation conditions have it. Celiac patients, right, where that's a direct, you know, attack from gluten, have leaky gut. And so IBS patients have it too. And imagine in patients with inflammatory bowel disease who have actually, you can actually see the ulcers and the erosions. They definitely have leaky gut. So my program is really destined at treating people with chronic diseases, gut diseases, Who, you know, they've done colonoscopy, endoscopy, like four or five times. They've done blood tests, whatever. And the GI doctor is saying, oh, there's nothing. You're fine. But they're like, I don't feel fine. There's a problem here, right? I'm bloated. I can't eat. When I eat this food, I, I have a reaction. When I do this, I have a reaction. I have diarrhea all the time or constipation. The problem is that we cannot, it's hard to test for leaky gut. You know, when we do colonoscopy and endoscopy, we're not getting at that microscopic Microbiome level, right? But in getting the patient's history and some specialty testing, you can actually see that, ah, there's an issue with the microbiome. Ha, ah, there appears to be some leaky gut. And then we begin a process of healing, right? And we have a process that we do in trying to identify. We call it the 5R process. We try and remove the culprit, we try and replace what's missing in terms of nutrients. We want to then repopulate with the right probiotics, and then we want to repair. And the last phase of the process is rebalance. We now want to focus on the patient's lifestyle stress because trauma in itself, believe it or not, Dr. Amigas, I'm sure you know, in itself is a trigger for a lot of gut-related issues. So we try and talk to the patient and get to the root cause. And we definitely notice, it's not uncommon where patients say, I was really fine, and then I went through a divorce and my gut was shot, or I lost a child, and I don't know, something happened, you know, there's often a trigger that maybe something was already brewing, but that trigger just boom, it's just, it just makes everything explode. So going back through that healing process, we also talk about possible traumas, possible stressors, and not that we're not therapists or psychiatrists, but we actually do work with GI psychologists, to help our patients through that, yeah. So it really just, it can apply to IBS, it can apply to IBD. What we're trying to do is really restore a leaky gut.
0: I love it. And I, I would say that I do a lot of this with my patients with methodology because we do see that there's trauma. We do, mm-hmm. we do see all of that and you can actually go really deep. When I, I'm not able to reach remission in my patients, I usually go there. Um, Absolutely. And sometimes we do both, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we are towards the end of this first encounter with you. I definitely want you back on the show to learn more about the microbiome and more about all of those things because it's so fascinating. But where can, uh, if someone is interested in your program, when, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so, my, you know, I'm on, on all the social media feeds. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. If you just type in Dr. Viviana Samwa, Um, And I can share that information with you. Uh, A a great place to just get free education from from us and kind of see what we've done over the years is our private Facebook group called Natural Gut Relief. We've hosted there for three years. And our entire purpose is just to build a family, a tribe, a community of people who want to find ways to relieve their gut issues naturally. So, you know, they're talking about grandma remedies and have you tried this and the latest probiotics and what the research is saying about kimchi and sauerkraut and how that affects the gut. And we have wonderful guest speakers. So I think I would love to have you, Dr. Amigas, on that group talking about IBD and rheumatological disorders And um, it's a wonderful place for your audience also to find us and get more information. But if you want to set up a consultation, um, you can message us on Dr. Viviana Samoa, go on my website, contact us to make an appointment. And we'd love to set up like a discovery call, learn more about you and then see if we're a good fit. But we are truly, I believe we are a team of medical gut detectives. That's what we call ourselves. We were really trying to go deep, (laughs) deep to find the I love it.
0: Yeah. I love this. Well, Dr. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I cannot wait for the second. I cannot wait to share more rheumatology and IBD and IBS like in, uh, in your own uh, group. And I'm actually one of the people who are in your group. I'm watching and I'm learning so much. And I saw that you did this uh, 30 day challenge of sugar free. And I I was like, wow, this is so cool. Uh, So yeah, see, we'll see you very soon. And, We'll put all the, in the show notes, we'll put all of those, uh, where to find you. Until then, thank you. Bye everyone. See you next week.
1: Thank you, Doc. Thank you, everyone.